Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We are still in Super Bowl mode here on the podcast. We thought we'd get into a little bit more about, um, you know, what the Browns can do to get to the Super Bowl because we're in that phase now where everyone who didn't get to the Super Bowl is talking about getting there next year and how they're going to get there next year and tweeting about how they're going to get there next year. All of that. Every team that's not the Kansas City Chiefs has turned the page to the 2024 season. So um, let's just get into some of the things in the Browns way, some of the things working in their favor. Um, I mean, we can, we can just kind of throw open the floor here, Mary Kay. What, what do you want to start with here? Well, you know, I talked to Miles Garrett after he won NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And on three occasions after accepting that award, he talked about the Super Bowl. And it was very evident that NFL Defensive Player of the Year is not the top of the mountain for him. That's not his goal. That's not his objective for his career or, you know, for the NFL for him. So he said it three times. The first time was when he accepted the award and he said something to the effect of, um, you know, Cleveland, this is for you. We're going to bring you something bigger next time. Let's go. So that was number one. And then he came back into the media room. And when he was up on the uh, media room stage and he got asked a couple questions, they only give you like two questions while he's up there. Uh, and he got asked a question. And one of the things that he said there was something to the effect of next year is our year. It's a special team. We did special things. You can see that uh, by way of the four awards we won here tonight. And next year is going to be our year. So that was another thing. And then uh, I got him alone for a second when he was walking the length of the media room to leave. And um, so I did ask him one more time. I said, does, you know, does winning this award give you even more fire, more desire to go out there and get that Super Bowl? And he said, it doesn't give me any more or any less, but that is, you know, that's basically the goal I plan to. He said, you know, that's the whole thing that, you know, that we plan to do, that I plan to do is bring a Super Bowl to Cleveland. And then he said, uh, I'm going to fight, scratch and claw to bring that Super Bowl to you, Cleveland. And so that was the message that he had for Browns fans. I thought it was pretty cool uh, on a night when he got an individual award, all he cared about was the team goals that he has. And that's what you need. That is what you need from your team leaders. So I think that's a really, really good place for them to start. Yeah. And so I, I think Miles is a good place to start in general, right? Because we've talked so much this week about Patrick Mahomes and how do you beat Patrick Mahomes? And like, if you're not going to have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, what else do you need? So obviously, right, you need good quarterback play, but you have to have like elite talent just in other places too. Like you've got to have like miles Garrett needs to be like the Patrick Mahomes of pass rushers, right? He needs to be the best edge rusher in football and he needs to have, he needs to take what he did last season and build on it and be even better. He needs to be that dominant number one pick game changing player every single week um, next season. And that that's kind of where it starts. So Ashley, I think if you're looking for reasons as to how the Browns can get to and win a Super Bowl, I think you start with, as you kind of look around the roster, starting with Miles Garrett, there is like real high level talent on this roster and high level talent at premium positions. So I, I think that's something that certainly Browns fans can feel good about right now. And, and again, it starts with Miles. 
Yeah, I think, and two, we've already kind of started to talk about this, especially like on the defensive side of the ball, right? Like there's been this resurgence this past year with them. This Jim Schwartz scheme worked really well. And there's not really many major questions about guys they need to resign, like holes they need to fill potentially. For the most part, those like major guys are back. I mean, to me, the biggest question was going to be what was going to happen with Grant Dulpit. They obviously wrapped that up by extending him when the season was still going on. Now, maybe it's like, uh, is, is Darius Smith going to come back? Like, that might be your biggest question mark. Um, and I know Mary Kay's talked about that's that's probably likely, right? So there, there just doesn't seem much uncertainty there either on top of finding those guys, developing them in some cases, like with Grant Delpit, like JOK, where, hey, they can go out there and make those big plays if they need to. I think, like, there are still some holes on their roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, we could go through position by position. You know, they have Nick Chubb, who's obviously coming back from that injury, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Deshaun Watson, if everything works out, he's supposed to be that top five, top ten talent in the league. They have one of the best offensive lines in the league when they're healthy, one of the best defensive lines. They have one of the best receivers in Amari Cooper. They have David Njoku, who made this big jump, right? So you can kind of go through through position by position and see how guys have either really improved over the last year um, or guys like Amari Cooper, who they go out, they aggressively go out to get to fill out the roster. So I think we've kind of seen that over the last three years of Andrew Berry really moving and shuffling the puzzle pieces around to make this all work. But I definitely think like you do need multiple of those guys at their respective positions where you're talking about, hey, these are pro bowl or all pro or one of the top five in the league kind of guys at their positions. And I do think something you, I mean, something else you were getting at there, Mary Kay, is I do think messaging can matter. Um, You know, if if this team shows up in April, on April 15th, and they're, you know, they're focused on that one goal, whether they say it to us or not, you know, they'll get right back into, we're trying to go one and oh every week. But, you know, if, if they are, if they have the attention on that one goal, I mean, was it Sean McDermott that put a picture of the Lombardi trophy up in their indoor facility, I think, and in, in training camp, like little things like that. Sometimes it's just words. Sometimes it doesn't mean a whole lot, but it is, I mean, this is how sports works. This is how athletes minds work. If you kind of have that focus on that one goal, um, it, it can go a long way. So I do think it's a good thing that Miles wasn't talking about himself as much after winning that award. He was talking about like, there's still essentially there's still more work to do. Yes. And I think that he knows and other players on this team know that they really do have uh, the talent to be able to go and do that. And one of the, one of the reasons they know that is because they beat the 49ers. They were one of only five teams that beat the 49ers uh, this past season. Now, again, That deserves a little bit of an asterisk because Debo Samuel missed most of that game and Christian McCaffrey missed much of the second half of that game. And of course, they're a completely different team without those players, but they beat the Ravens on the road and they beat the 49ers. So they beat uh, two of, you know, the top seeds in the playoffs. And so that's why they, you know, they do believe that they can do this. I mean, there were other years, obviously, where it would have rung hollow if you heard Brown's players talking like this. It would be like, oh, okay, you go, you go, do that. But, I mean, we all know that they actually can do this uh, if they play well. Um, so I do think the messaging is important. 
and I do think we probably will hear a lot of Super Bowl early on. And then I think they'll dial it back again, as you mentioned, to one game at a time, one game at a time. Kevin will bring them right back to that because they know that's how you get there by winning that one game at a time. It's how they put their blinders on and got through a very difficult season last year. It's one of Kevin's strengths is keeping them laser focused on the task at hand. He's really good at that. Uh, so they're going to have to do that again. Um, and then I do think um, that they aggressively need to add some more talent. And I mean, some big name talent. I, I think they need to add a few blockbuster pieces. Now, a couple of those pieces are pretty much already off the board. People are talking about uh, the fact that the Bengals are probably going to franchise T Higgins. So they're, they're probably not going to be able to get their hands on him. And then, you know, I came home from uh, Super Bowl week thinking, hmm, wouldn't it be nice if the Browns added Chris Jones to the defense? <laughs> Which, of course, you know, was never really going to happen anyways. But um, he said today at the parade that, that he plans to be back in Kansas City, not just next year, but the year after that and the year after that. So he's hoping to sign a long-term contract with the Chiefs and uh, – and that one looks like that's uh, going to go by the wayside as well. But I do think that they need to add a couple of, of key, key pieces like that because the schedule is going to be so much harder. And we can get into this more, but this is the first time that they are playing a second place schedule since 2008. And when they had that opportunity in 2008, after going 10 and 6 the year before, they blew it. They blew it. They went 4 and 12 and they just completely flopped. And you know, they have to do much better this year. I, I know they will. Um, but, you know, you just can't take anything for granted. Ashley, when we talk about the, the defensive side of the ball and the stability over there, um, that's obviously a good thing. But running it back makes me nervous, too. Like, you do need to bring in some fresh blood. You do need to bring in something, something new there. So I don't know if that's, you know, like... What do you do with Jordan Elliott? Do you yeah. re-sign him, and are you just happy at defensive tackle? Do you go out and add to that room? I do think there's there's some value, and I don't know where that piece is because you you do have so many starters. Obviously, it could be maybe if they, they let Zadarius walk, but there's got to be someone out there, even if it's like a third safety or you know another starting caliber defensive tackle or another linebacker, right? Cause maybe Anthony yeah. Walker and Sione Takitaki are both gone. There's, there's gotta be something out there, a starting level player that you can add to this group that kind of brings a different flavor or a different level to what you have. I, I do think that's important. You kind of read my mind. Cause those were like all the positions I was basically thinking of, of where it would be feasible for them to switch things up a little bit, right? Obviously in the safety room, they had to rely on two, undrafted guys and Ronnie Hickman and DeAnthony Bell, who for the most part, I think overperformed expectations, but you have Ronnie McLeod with the biceps injury that ended his year. He's obviously a veteran. Um, and then obviously Juan Thornhill dealt with a nagging calf injury all year. They didn't really get the production out of him. I think that anybody was expecting, uh, and Grant Delpit's going to be coming off of a season ending injury as well with the groin. So I think that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, the the linebackers in general, I know, Dan, we listened to Anthony Walker Jr. talk on Locker Room Cleanout Day, and I think when I turned around and we left that scrum, I said to you, he sounds like he's not too confident that he's going to be back here next year based on the tone of what he was saying. And I talked to him extensively 
2022 when he suffered his season-ending knee injury. And the tone to me was just totally different. Like, and it's not that he wouldn't be open to coming back, but I think like players can sometimes sense that, right? And they know it's a business and it might ultimately be just time to get some fresh blood in there. He's been around a few years and that linebacker room has been pretty stable. Um, Really, besides adding JOK, that was their last like big move in that room. So I, I definitely will be curious. I think linebacker is something you're seeing pop up a bit more, but on the defensive line, I think it's always a possibility with Jim Schwartz as this coordinator that you could add somebody anywhere, whether it's an interior guy, whether it's another edge rusher, um, just because of how he rotates those pieces in and out. Um, none of that would really surprise me if they go in any one of those directions. Yeah. And, and Mary Kay, like, you know, we've, we've seen this a little bit on this, this defensive side of the ball, right? Like this, they have a new defensive line coach. Now he changed out Ben Bloom. Um, you know, there might be some guys that Jim looks at and says, hey, we like we like what this guy did for us. Thanks for everything. But I want to go a different direction at this position. I'm not talking like, you know, Denzel Ward or like Mark, I'm not talking like the really big names. But, you know, for as much as an Anthony Walker meant to this team and, you know, maybe he does end up coming back. But there might be some areas where Jim Schwartz, they couldn't change everything to his liking. But maybe there are some guys that. Maybe we don't even expect that Jim Schwartz might look at and say, you know, I just want to go a different direction. there. Yeah, I think so. As you mentioned, they will have a new defensive line coach, and that's the most important position on Jim Schwartz's defense. And you've got your best defensive player at that position. So I think that's pretty significant that they swapped out Ben Bloom, who's now the outside linebackers coach in Tennessee, uh, for Jacques Césaire. I don't know how to pronounce it. Césaire. Um, I, I actually pro move here. I didn't even say his name when I brought up the new defensive line coach because I wasn't trying to pronounce it either. So I left that for you. <laughs> well, hopefully I got close. Um, but anyway, so they do have uh, just a new vibe in that room. And I think that's important because again, it is the most important position on the defensive line. And I, you know, I think it's a bit of a statement uh, to the fact that there was a, a point this past season where Jim Schwartz had to chew out his defensive line for going two games without a sack. And then as we all know, even though they downplayed it over and over and over, we all know that Miles Garrett went, uh, you know, the, the final six games of the season with only one sack. And I think that, you know, I, I don't think they liked that. I think they want him to finish strong. I think he wants to finish a lot stronger than that. Um, so I think that, you know, they're looking for something a little bit different there and that might result in some new blood, some new talent. Uh, and I, I, quite frankly, I do think that they need a second rusher that can approach double digit sacks. I just think it's important. I don't know if they think it's important the way that I do, but I, I do think it's important. Most teams probably don't have that, but In a Jim Schwartz defense, I don't think it's too much to ask. Uh, And I think it would take pressure off of Miles. I think it would keep, you know, maybe a a little bit of heat off of Miles from time to time. You know, maybe not, but I I think it could help. So that's one area to look at. And then, of course, you know, you have a whole new offensive staff, a completely new offensive staff. And so I think there will be new talent on the offensive side of the ball. There will be a new vibe on the offensive side of the ball. There could be a new play caller 
on the offensive side of the ball. We don't know that yet. Uh, And that's completely significant as well. So I think when you look ahead to 2024 and the Browns hope to reach their goals and dreams, they blew up the offensive staff in an effort to try to get there the same way they blew up the defensive staff last year. They ended up with the number one defense. So I think they're looking for uh, similar improvement from the offense. Uh, And of course, you know, they're getting guys back from injuries, but things are going to be very different next year. They always are. They're always different. And there's always turnover in, uh, you know, on your roster. And there are enough defensive guys that are on one-year contracts and whose contracts are up at the end of this year and who are coming off of injuries. You are, you're going to see a handful of new defensive players. You're going to have to see five guys leave, and you're going to see five more guys come in on that defense alone. Okay, let's move on to something Mary Kate touched on um, a, a few minutes ago. And that is, of course, the Browns' schedule next season. Uh, Mary Kay mentioned they have not played a second-place schedule since 2008. That was, of course, after that 10-6 and six season. Um, it didn't go well. Everybody got fired um, after that season. I don't think that's going to happen this time around. But it is worth noting because in the NFL, the schedule is... There's no other league, no other professional league where the schedule is as important to outcomes. You know, like in the NBA, you play so many games, baseball, same way, all of that. So the schedule really matters in the NFL. So obviously we know you're playing Joe Burrow twice next season. For some reason, the Browns still do well against Joe Burrow. I don't get it, but you still have to play Joe Burrow twice. You're going to have to play Lamar Jackson twice. I don't know what the Steelers are doing at quarterback, uh, but they do have a new offensive coordinator in Arthur Smith. Big vibes guy in my mind. I love the Arthur Smith vibes. I don't know if he's good, but I love the vibes. Um, We'll see what the Steelers do at quarterback regardless. But outside of the division, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Tua, unless the Dolphins make a big move at quarterback and and decide to go a different direction. I don't know if they'll do that, but it's going to be at least Tua. Um, I don't know what the Broncos are doing at quarterback yet. The Commanders will probably have a rookie Uh, But that's something to keep an eye on. Um, Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence again. Uh, We'll see what the Raiders do at quarterback. Uh, I'm assuming the Saints will still have Derek Carr. But, you know, even like, Ashley, even if Derek Carr is like your lower level, when when you look at the quarterbacks they have to play, if he's kind of near the bottom of the list, whatever you think of the guy and how he played last year, that's still a much higher floor than some of what the Browns had to face this season. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that in the context of two particular losses. And we've talked about this a lot at the time that, you know, they lost to Denver and they lost in LA and immediately after that. And there was this narrative about why can't the defense perform on the road? Why are they performing like this in these road games? And I think we all kind of agreed that it was maybe less about the environment of the game or the setting of the game and more about these veteran quarterbacks who can process really quickly and can just kind of have that institutional knowledge to pick apart defenses in a specific way. Especially a guy like Stafford, who obviously is much more familiar with Jim Schwartz and his tendencies than a lot of guys you're going to face. But I do think looking at that list of guys, you know, it is more guys on that caliber that when you think of them, okay, they're 
really quick to get the ball out. They're really quick with their decision-making. And I think that's when we saw this defense struggle is when they had to play those kind of veteran quarterbacks who, yes, was, was Russell Wilson one of the best quarterbacks in the league last year? No, but he still has those skills and is, you know, former Super Bowl winner, all those things on his resume that help him in those kind of situations. So I think that it's definitely worth remembering those couple of losses and just kind of thinking back and being like, hey, like maybe this wasn't so much a home road thing as much as it was a what happened when they had to play these quarterbacks that they don't have to see a ton of every you know single season or something like that who have that experience. So to me, that's kind of what's on my mind. Yeah, I mean, Mary Kim, I'm just, again, I'm looking at kind of the floor of the quarterbacks they're playing, like the guys who are kind of like, eh, okay, that guy doesn't scare me. So, um, you know, I guess Daniel Jones is on there. Um, I, I don't know what the Giants are doing. There's just a lot of unknowns, right? Like the commanders will probably have a rookie. It sure feels like when there's national reports about the Bears saying how much it's going to cost to move up to number one, the Bears are basically saying, hey, we're open for business. So maybe that's Caleb Williams uh, starting for the commanders in, in that game. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett. But really, once you kind of get past the bottom of this group, there's just a lot of really good quarter, a lot of really good quarterbacks here. And just the fact that you have to play Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes and then, you know, in your own division, you've got two potential MVP candidates that you have to face. So that's, I mean, that right there is, you know, six really difficult games. And that's not even counting, you know, some of these other names like Jalen Hurts, if he bounces back, Trevor Lawrence, if he looks like first half of the season, Trevor Lawrence, this is, this is going to be a, a challenging, very challenging schedule next year. Yeah, it really is. And if somebody is smart on that list, if they don't have, uh, a starter that they really like right now, uh, they should throw Joe Flacco into the mix and, and have him start. So who knows? Maybe they'll have to face Joe. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a gauntlet of quarterbacks that they have to face. And that is why I think it's so vitally important that the Browns defense realizes that things are going to be different in 2024 for them than they were in 2023. Not only do they have to add talent, uh, each one of those players on that defense, uh, they have to elevate their game. They have to work as hard as they possibly can in the offseason uh, to make sure that they're getting better and that they don't rest on their laurels because uh, not only is it a second-place schedule, it's a completely different quarterback world than what they faced last year. And, you know, I've said it so many times over and over and over again, you know, Joe Burrow in, you know, coming off of a calf injury, not ready to play in the first game. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow not playing in the last game. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence coming off of just, I mean, a gruesome high ankle sprain that nobody thought he was going to be able to play that game. Uh, you know, then you've got Clayton Toon, which, you know, that was the Browns, you know, reverse of the uh, Baltimore Ravens going against Dorian Thompson Robinson, a fifth round pick that just, and that on that day wasn't ready for the moment. And, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Trevor Simeon instead of Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, they're going to have to pick up their performance. They're going to have to. Uh, because I think it's going to be really hard for them to repeat as the number one defense in the NFL uh, if, if they don't all put their heads together and get a lot better than they, than they were in 2023. Yeah, and then look, 
you know, none of this is to like, you try to balance it, right? Like what the Browns did this year was really impressive. They won 11 games. They won games with PJ Walker and Dorian Thompson Robinson starting at quarterback. They figured it out with Joe Flacco. They made the playoffs. Like none of this takes away from what they accomplished, but the reality is it's going to be harder next year. That's how the NFL is set up. It's going to be more difficult. They don't want good teams to just be good forever. They want it to be, they want parity. And so it's going to be harder for the Browns. That's how this is supposed to go. Um, Ashley, you know, you had mentioned before we hit record that you saw the Browns were a potential regression. Somebody had the Browns as a top regression candidate, speaking of parity and making life (laughs) harder for teams that were good the year before. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's not just like one person. It's everywhere I look. Like, even if you just search like Cleveland Browns, I'm pretty sure that one of the first things you'll see is somebody, you know, going through regression candidates. It's obviously a popular time of year to do that sort of thing, along with, of course, all the draft stuff that we're all going to have coming up. But yeah, I mean, it's not surprising to me that a lot of teams are looking at them like that, or a lot of, you know, outlets or bloggers or analysts or whatever, um, because of what we're talking about right now. I think because of this schedule, because of what they struggled with this past year, and I mean, just because of the uncertainty with some key pieces on their team, with Deshaun Watson coming back from his injury, with Nick Chubb coming back from his injury, even though there might not be those kind of big roster holes that the Browns have had in the past at some key positions, I think those guys coming back from injuries are still like big questions. And especially when you're not around the team every day, I think it's easy to just kind of want to write them off because of that, coupled with the schedule, coupled with the quarterbacks they're going to have to face. And on top of the quarterbacks, they struggled against in 2023. So I think that's just something to me that we're going to see all off season as people look at regression candidates and, you know, who's most likely to make a jump as a team. I don't think the Browns are going to be one of those uh, candidates for the positive side of those kind of lists. I think a lot of people are going to be expecting them to regress compared to what they did in 2023. And I think the schedule is a big part of it. Yeah. And, and Mary Kay, I wonder how much, how much do you think that also is just, this great unknown of Deshaun Watson. Like, I think it's impossible to predict exactly what the Browns are going to be um, until we just, until we see this team on the field playing real football games. Um, because like we, I, the defense will probably be pretty good again. We, you know, they're going to get a better on offense. I mean, there's going to be things we're going to be able to know, but like Deshaun Watson is still just this great, unknown and we think there's we talked about it in the hey mary k pod we think there's still some of that guy in there or all of that guy in there from the houston days but we just don't we don't know yet and so i think it's really i think this team is really i feel like i said this last off season too so again time is a flat circle this team is really hard to figure out until we know exactly what they're going to get out of Deshaun watson that's absolutely true um, and I think that's a huge factor in uh, in prognosticators uh, categories categorizing the Browns as a regression candidate. I think that's one of the big, big factors. Uh, I think another big factor uh, is the fact that they played in so many close games. I believe they set a record for winning games on like the last drive or something. I'd have to look that up again, or maybe one of you guys can look it up. But I think, I believe that's what it was that they set an NFL record for winning games in the final two minutes or final drive or something like that. So 
a lot of times those things even out in the end, right? I mean, you know, you can't always count on Jake Moody missing the game winning kick. Um, you can't always count on some of the other things that happen at the end of the game. Sometimes those things are going to go the other way. So that's another major reason I think uh, for, for the kind of question marks, but certainly I think Deshaun's got to go way, way high on that list. And you know what? There still is not a whole lot of national buy-in on Deshaun Watson at this point. There's just not, there's not, um, you'd really have to dig in to understand what has gone on with Deshaun Watson in the first couple of seasons. You have to be, uh, I think probably covering the team very closely to really kind of understand, okay, what was that three and three record about in 2022? What was that five and one record about in 2023? You know, I mean, neither of those things were necessarily exactly what they seemed. Um, And the truth of the matter is largely because of injuries to Deshaun last year, to the shoulder throughout most of the year. um, You know, we don't know what he's going to do in 2024. You cannot predict that. You know what Patrick Mahomes is going to do in 2024, as long as he stays healthy. You know, you know what, um, you know, you know what, Lamar Jackson is pretty much going to do in 2024. Nobody knows what Deshaun Watson is going to be capable of in 2024. And, and I think that, uh, you know, that that is causing a lot of consternation on the, on the part of people that have to predict this sort of thing. Okay. Can I throw one other thing out there? This is an, this is one of those things. This kind of goes along with the lines of the, the close games, the one score games that, that you were talking about, Mary Kay. The giveaways. I I think this is actually a positive for the Browns because to me, they gave the ball away 37 times last year, Ashley. 37 times. That can't possibly happen again, right? Like if that happens again, they're if that happens again, they're I don't think they're gonna do what they did last year. I don't think that's gonna ha- they're not gonna make the playoffs if they do that again. So to me, turnovers can be a very different turnovers can be pretty fickle year to year. I just can't imagine this team is given the football away 37 times again next year. And I actually just looked this up. This is fun. Uh, they were actually tied for, let's see, Kansas city, San Francisco and Baltimore all had more giveaways than them in the playoffs, but that's it. There are two giveaways in the playoffs and one game even was like top half of, of the league. So I don't know. I, I know, Ashley, you wrote about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. I think it was after the, the Dorsey presser. Um, I just don't see a world where this team gives the ball away 37 times next year. So I think that's actually a good thing. I think at least that will be more normal for them. Yeah, I mean, basically because they have nowhere to go but up, right? When you were the worst team in the league, hopefully that number doesn't get any worse than it was in 2023. Uh, But I do think it is interesting, right? Because you would expect just based on what an anomaly it was that it would simply have to be better next year. And I do think that's true. Like there were certain things to contributing to that as well. Like the quarterbacks going in and out, having to play with five total different quarterbacks throughout the regular season and obviously winning games with four of those guys, they overcame a lot. 
but that's a lot for your pass catchers to have to adapt to. It's a lot to expect from those guys coming in and out, especially when it's, you know, much more inexperienced guys compared to Joe Flacco in PJ Walker and Dorian Thompson Robinson, who was a rookie guys having to get used to playing with Deshaun and then used to playing with somebody else. I think that that all contributed to the turnovers, plus the fact that Joe Flacco's gunslinger, sorry, Kevin Stefanski mentality, where he was going to take some of those chances. But what's interesting to me and why I wrote about it, why I asked Ken Dorsey about it in that press conference is, of course, because the Bills struggled with giveaways, too, when he was there. That was a big part of the reason of why they fired him. Um, Josh Allen was leading the league in interceptions at the time. I forget. I don't have the story in front of me, but I kind of put where they were, where they finished, where they were when he got fired at the time uh, in that category. And they weren't that much you know, better off than the Browns, especially when he was there. So I am curious like what that's going to look like. He talked about it. That, that was one of the first things they were emphasizing in their staff meetings already, which I think that's a good place to start. But I do, despite all of that, I do still think it would be such an anomaly for them to put up those kind of giveaway numbers because it really was just so bizarre. It felt like a problem they could not get a handle on even as the year went on. And I think a lot of it was those extenuating circumstances that they're just not going to have to deal with in 2024. Yeah, I mean, Mary Kay, I'm looking it up now. So um, PJ Walker threw five interceptions. His interception mm-hmm. rate was four and a half percent, which is insane. Uh, mm-hmm. Dorian threw four. His interception rate was 3.6%. Joe Flacco has always thrown a bunch of interceptions. He threw eight in five games, and this isn't even counting the playoffs. Uh, his interception rate was, rate was 3.9%. Well, mm-hmm. also, Jeff Driscoll threw two. So I guess we can take a couple of those giveaways out of the equation, like two that didn't really count. Um, But still, a lot of turnovers. And I do think at least some of it can go back to who you were starting at quarterback. Now, Deshaun threw a lot of interceptions, too. He threw four interceptions in in six games and, of course, had a couple of pick sixes as well. So Deshaun was certainly culpable in all of this, too. But that's generally not been who he has been in his career outside of that rookie season. So just that alone, if you can just have stability at quarterback and have a guy that's not going to turn the ball over a bunch at quarterback, that's going to help you. And then just clean up some of the sloppy stuff like the fumbled snaps in Denver and, you know, just some of that stuff that was, I think Jerome Ford had a couple fumbles. I'd just clean up some of that stuff, have a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over a bunch. And we're going to see that number drop. And that that's one of those things that's going to help you better navigate that second place schedule a whole lot easier. Yeah. When we first started this uh, part of the discussion on um, the regression talk, uh, I wrote down three things on my phone. Number one, takeaways. And you ended up making that point very nicely for us uh, because I thought that goes on the positive side, right? They're probably not going to turn the ball over. And then I wrote down close games um, they won all those close games and then Deshaun. So I wrote down those three things. Um, and so, you know, we covered all of those. I mean, I do think that's, that's it. That's the name of the, of the game here for what, uh, what we're looking at for next year. But in terms of the giveaways, um, first of all, I don't think as we have pointed out here that they are going to happen to that extent next year. Deshaun doesn't generally throw those kind of interceptions when he's healthy. Some of his interceptions this year came, uh, like think of that Colts game where he just, he didn't have the arm. I mean, like he just couldn't throw the ball. So I don't think that he is going to be throwing a ton of interceptions next year. As you mentioned, he has not traditionally 
done that in his career. Um, the majority of them obviously came from the backup quarterbacks on this football team. So um, they should probably be okay in that regard. And then the other thing about it is that their defense kind of made up for some of those. So I don't know if it's going to be as much on the plus side of the ledger as it, as it would be for a, another team without that great of a defense, um, you know, kind of minimizing some of those giveaways and those interceptions. Think of all the times that the, uh, we'd have to, I mean, this would be a good statistical analysis for, uh, you know, for someone think of all the times that the defense, that the offense did not score after one of those interceptions or after one of those giveaways. I mean, there were sometimes that they did. I mean, if you're going to start the opposing team on the nine, on, on the nine, you know, they're going to score. But, um, but there were a lot of times where it did not hurt them the way that you thought that it would. And they won a lot of games that they shouldn't have won when they lost the turnover battle. I mean, that, that doesn't usually happen. And, and they, they pulled off some of those games when they had no business pulling off some of those games because of the strength of their defense. So I don't know if that's going to be as much of a boost as it normally would uh, be, but it they'll get something out of it. They will get something out of cleaning up uh, the takeaways and that, that should help them. But I think it's something that we could take a deeper look into. Yeah. I, th- I actually thought that was one of the defense's biggest like talking points or, or strong points was like, look at all these turn, like teams don't give the ball away this much and even make the playoffs, <laughs> like let alone have a winning record or something like that. So the fact that they turned the ball over as much as they did um, with all win 11 games, like that, that's part of why Jim Schwartz was assistant coach of the year. So um, that I, okay. So let's just, let's wrap this all up. I'm still pretty confident in this football team going into next year. I think um, I have obviously the big question about the quarterback position, but even if this isn't the best defense in football, I think there's still a top five at worst top 10 unit. And that would surprise me if they were even that low. I still think this defense is going to be really good. Um, the schedule worries me. And you know, it might just be a matter of like, do those one score games make the difference between being, 11 and six again, or in that eight to nine win range. Um, it's way too early to, to make any sort of prediction, but I do think there's at least reason to still, to feel confident that the Browns can navigate this and, you know, still have a chance to contend for the division or at least have a chance to make the playoffs again. Um, and I know the standard needs to be, we've talked about this. The standard needs to be higher than just make the playoffs, but I guess I don't look at this Mary Kay and think, oh my God, this team doesn't have a chance at all. Um, I certainly see the pitfalls. I certainly see how this thing ends up at seven and 10 or eight and nine, but it wouldn't shock me if a year, you know, 11 months from now we're talking about, Hey, the Browns won 11 games again and they're back in the playoffs. I I think, I think there's that much variance with this and I can see how it all plays out. Yes, absolutely. And I think as we go through the off season and we see what they do in terms of, acquisitions and uh, roster losses. Uh, I think that will give us a better idea of how we feel about it. Um, but, you know, you just cannot forget the fact that they play in the AFC North. I mean, they play in the AFC North. If they played in another division where it's just always 
us and then everybody else. Uh, and I don't mean us as in us, us, I mean a team saying it's us. Um, but you just never know. I mean, you have once again, legitimately three teams at least that can go out there and win it next year. And so that is going to be the part that, you know, that is going to make this challenging this year and in, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years down the road. I mean, it's going to be a decade of just, uh, you know, having to scratch and claw just to win your division and get those home games. But they certainly can do it. They just so happen to be in one of the best divisions in football. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard, Ashley. And like I said, I, I don't know if anything would shock me a year from now how, how we're talking about this team. But I certainly think like this roster, this coaching staff, these pieces are in as good a place as they've been in an offseason to feel good about building on that and actually, you know, actually doing something with, with what you got here. Yeah, I think I'm just like, there are definitely worse places they could be right now, right? For like, as much as we want to talk about the quarterbacks they're potentially going to see, obviously, we know, like, it's so early. There's some truth to that, right? But for me, it's also like, well, look at what happened this year. And Mary Kay went through everything that those opposing quarterbacks in some cases or teams were dealing with at the times the Browns saw them, right? Sometimes you are going to have weeks like that or seasons like that where, for lack of a better word, you just get lucky as a team. And it's not as hard as it looked like it was going to be on paper in May when the schedule initially came out. So I definitely think that in this division, we know it's one of the most competitive in the NFL right now. I mean, look at the Steelers even making the playoffs this past year. Who thought that was going to happen? And then they sneak in at the last possible minute, and suddenly the AFC North has three teams uh, in the playoffs. I mean, it just seems like it's going to be another year of that, even with all of this unforeseen stuff. I think just knowing that this division is so competitive, it puts the Browns almost in, in a better spot, right? Because AFC North teams the last few years have have shown how good of a division it really is, I think. All right, there we go. We're saying there's a chance. That's what we'll <laughs> call this. We're, we're saying there's a chance. Um, that will do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast uh we are going to bring you the second part of that award show that's coming up later this week so uh make sure that you are subscribed on apple podcasts and spotify become a football insider subscriber cleveland.com slash browns the blue blue banner at the top of the page search orange and brown talk on instagram to find us and search cleveland browns on cleveland.com on youtube to find us there for mary Kay and ashley i'm dan thanks for listening everybody 